See, faith begins when people believe that what God said in his word, that God said, I'll reward if you diligently seek me, that I will bless you if you walk in my ways. Faith begins with believing that. And the opposite is true. There's a lot of people out there who believe God exists. In fact, even the Bible says demons know God exists. But that doesn't mean they have faith that saves them. No, they're demons. There's a lot of people out there that believe God exists, but they don't believe what the word of God, the Bible, says about God, about his goodness, his faithfulness, and his promises to us. Faith that brings us into a relationship with God is the faith that believes what God said he will do, he will do. Notice it says, for he who comes to God, who comes to God. In order to have a relation with God and actually see what God wants to do in our life, we have to believe that he exists, yes, but he, that he, he is who he says he is. Now, I've walked us through a number of things this last couple of weeks, just showing you from the word of God, God's desire to bless his people. His desire to bless those who would walk in his ways. I've tried to show you over and over again in the word of God that God promises to reward those who diligently seek him. That he will do what he said. We've looked at Abraham, right? Way back in Genesis, we looked at Abraham, that God treats his friends good. He promised to Abraham, if you'll follow me, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And that's exactly what God did. We looked at the fact that not only did Abraham have a relationship with God, which is the greatest blessing, he was made right with God through his faith, but not only that, is God made his name great, and blessed him. And not just spiritual blessing, not just relational blessing, but material blessing. And I'm not emphasizing that in this series because that's the only thing, but I'm emphasizing it because God is real. Because he's real. And he has made promises in the word of God to provide for us, even abundantly, and he likes to take care of his people. That's all. There's not the, definitely material blessing is <laughs> definitely not the best one. And it's definitely not the number one, but it, if you will, is something that God does for those who are in relationship with him. We've looked at how God treated the people of Israel, that even despite Israel's sin and their rebellion and their complaining and their whining, and yet God kept his promises to them. Now, Israel missed out on so much of what God wanted to do for them because of those things in their life. So we don't want to be like Israel. But God was still faithful. And we, we, show, we saw last week how much God just says, I want to bless you. I want to do these things for you. We saw that all last week. And then we even looked at uh, Jesus. And here's Jesus, the son of God, right? Perfect God, perfect man. And there was no lack in his life. He didn't need money. He didn't need people. Although God would provide financially uh, for Jesus through people and, 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 and with money. But shoot, when Jesus had to pay taxes, you know what he did? He told Peter, hey, Peter, go down fishing, and you're going to pull out a fish, and the first fish is going to have a coin in its mouth. Use that to pay the taxes. You like that one? How, don't raise your hand, but how many you got to pay taxes, huh? Coming up pretty soon. Yay, tax day. Some of you are going to get some money back, but some of us have to pay money, right? I'm not just going to go fishing, but we need to hear the Lord. That's the point, of course. Jesus didn't need money. He could multiply loaves and fishes. And he always made more than enough, didn't he? What, we, what we've been seeing is this.
what life looks like in the kingdom. This is what life looks like when somebody will walk with the Lord. Jesus himself promises that if we leave everything for him and for the gospel, he will bless us in this life. And praise God, because whatever we get in this life, oh, that's just a drop in the bucket, because we get eternal life, and we get to reign with Jesus forever. There is no greater blessing than eternal life and knowing him, amen? There's no greater blessing than, than even like this week, I'm just resting in the Lord, I'm just talking to the Lord, and this overwhelming peace comes upon my soul. Oh my goodness, there's nothing greater than just to be at complete rest, complete peace in the presence of God. To know that you are loved and delighted in. There's nothing like that, like we were singing today. Hope and joy. Nothing compares to his love, yeah? But the great thing is when you come into a relationship with a good dad, he likes to hook you up if you'll walk in his ways. If you'll walk in his ways. Look, I'm not making this stuff up. Those of you who have been listening to these messages, and and if, if this is your first message that you're hearing, I'm not making this stuff up. The Bible is not a myth. The Bible's not a fiction book. This is not a novel. I'm not making this stuff up. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture means all that is written. All that is written. When I'm reading the Word of God to you, I'm not misinterpreting or taking this stuff out of context. I am preaching to you the Word of God. Amen? This is God's Word. God's Word from Genesis to Revelation This is God who has spoken or written through people. Yes, of course, human beings down the Bible, but they were just messengers. Amen? Those of you who believe the Bible, and I don't know, some of you, you may be here and you don't believe the Bible is the word of God. We understand, but just take, check this out. Check this out. Even if you don't believe, I don't know if it's really from God, but at least, at least, this is who God claims to be, right? So a lot of times I'll tell people who are skeptical, I'll say, hey, let the dude speak for himself. What I mean is, don't try to misinterpret the Bible. Don't try to take it out of context. People say, well, you know the Bible, you can interpret however you want. No, 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 you cannot just take... Okay, listen, listen. Check this out. Anyone, any man who's married and alive knows how this works. If my wife says to me, oh, I like this, and I like this, and I don't like this, and I say to her, no, no, no. Honey, let me, let me explain to you. What you really like is this. What you really want is this. Listen, I'd be six feet under. Right? You don't take someone's words out of context. It's very simple. The only way I know what my wife likes or thinks is if she what? Tells me. People cannot know you if you don't reveal yourself to them. By the way, that would be a good plug for like get open and be in relationship, Right? You don't know me unless I reveal myself to you. The Bible, the scriptures, that which is written is God-breathed. It is God's message to us. It is his self-disclosure to us. You don't know what God is like, and you don't know what God is going to do except from the Bible. Amen? And people, oh, you can, miss, you can interpret however you want. No, that's taking God out of context. Let him for himself. And so, so whether you're a Christian here, don't misinterpret the Bible, or maybe you're here and you don't necessarily believe the Bible, that's okay, but at least listen to what the Bible claims God is, amen? Just let him speak, let him speak, and let the Bible confront us with his ways and his goodness and his promises. 
See, that's all I'm doing. You can look at the sun and the stars and the sky and the moon, and you can study science and math, and you can know there is a God. I mean, come on, right? You look at everything out there, somebody made this stuff. Like, it's too complicated and beautiful and perfect to have been just an accident. Somebody designed this, but you can't know who that designer is unless he tells you who he is. Amen? Jesus is the word of God. He is the perfect revelation of God. But this Bible is an extension of who God is because it's his self-disclosure. All scripture is God-breathed. So listen, as I've been walking you through this and I've been showing you, this is what he has promised in his word. Over and over and over and over and over again, God is saying, I want to bless you. If you will diligently seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And I will reward those who diligently seek me. Amen? We don't need to convince God to bless us or help us. He's trying to convince us. That's what he's told me to do in these last number of messages and even today. To convince you, convince your heart that he is faithful and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So we've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Israel and, 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 and Jesus. And for sure, we have definitely not exhausted everything. We have definitely not exhausted all the promises that are in the Bible. But I've showed you a number of things that God wants to do. Whenever I bring these kinds of things up, especially like Israel, say, hey, God wants to bless his people. God's made promises in the Bible. Inevitably, people will bring up certain things. Maybe they might bring it up in a theological way, but there's really some other things going on down here. They might say things like, well, but David, that was the Old Testament. That was the Old Testament. Now, I've showed you some Old and New Testament promises, but they'll say, well, that was the Old Testament. And God doesn't really want to do that anymore. Or those promises were like to Israel. People say, well, you've got, you got to read the Bible in context. You know, that was for Israel. You know, that's not for us. People bring these kind of things up, okay? Just letting you know. You, maybe you never thought that before. But what's deeper is, well, God promised those blessings to those who would walk in his ways, and he made those promises to Israel, but there were also curses to Israel. Deuteronomy 28 says, if you keep my commandments, I'll bless you. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'll bless you above every nation. Then he turns right around in Deuteronomy 8 and he says, but if you don't obey my commands, I'll curse you. Say, whoa. So a lot of people, Christian or non-Christian, but I mean especially believers, we struggle with, but how can I really know that God wants to do these things for me? Like maybe, maybe, Maybe like because of that thing I did yesterday or a year ago or five years ago, maybe like I've been disqualified. The reality is most of us probably feel like that. You don't even have to understand like the theology or the Bible or anything. You don't even have to understand like, well, those promises were to Israel and maybe I'm like not part of that. You might feel like that, but probably you're more just like, how, do I, how can I really be confident that God wants to do it for me? Does your sin disqualify you? Are you cut off because, sorry, I just haven't measured up yet? You say, man, I've got to seek the Lord with all my heart, but I don't know if I really fit in that category. So how do I know that I can even confidently take hold of these blessings and promises that you say God wants to do? So I want to address that issue in your hearts today. Turn with me to Galatians 3. I'm going to look at some ch- uh, chapter there. You, 
we'll try to throw it up on the screen if you can't find it, but Galatians chapter 3. Let me show you something here. It take me a second to build. Okay, not a second, a few minutes to build, but let me show you something because I, I believe the Lord wants to convince your heart of his goodness and his desire to bless you. So in Galatians chapter 3, he says this about Abraham, verse 6. He says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, meaning that Abraham came into a right relationship with God and God forgave Abraham's sin because he believed God. And then he says, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let me explain what he's going through. See, in Galatia, these churches that are in Galatia, they were struggling with trying to earn their salvation. They were Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. They were not biological descendants of Abraham. And though they had heard the gospel from Paul and they were saved and they had become churches, some other people came into the church and started saying, well, no, you need to become Jewish to receive the blessings of Abraham. Well, you, no, no, in order to become right with God, you need to become Jewish. So therefore, the men, you guys need to be circumcised and, 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 and all of you, you need to obey all the laws in the Old Testament. And so what they were trying to tell them is, no, you need to become Jewish, but also it's not just an ethnic thing, like it's not something we're struggling with today. It's more than that. They were struggling with trying to earn God's approval. Trying to work by doing ceremonial law, keeping the ceremonial laws, like gotta wash this and don't eat that and go to this festival and doing all these outward things. Then God will be approve of us, not be mad at us. We gotta do these things so God won't be mad out of us. That was tongues? No, I'm joking. Anyone have an interpretation? Okay, that was a bad joke. Okay. We've got to do all these stuff so God's not mad at us, and then maybe he'll bless us. But it's always based upon then my works, right? So then if I'm blessed, it's like, look at what I did. I got blessed because I did all that, right? But if I'm not blessed, oh, it must be because God's mad at me and I've sinned. Now, a lot of us, we don't even need the devil, to mess with us. We do it to ourselves, right? We interpret our own life. We walk by sight and not by faith. We interpret our life instead of letting the word of God interpret it for us. So we go through some hard times. We think, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe this is happening because of that sin. We have this, what I might call sin consciousness or guilt or condemnation that often shuts down our confidence before the Lord. Listen to what he's saying to these Galatians. He's saying to these believers and to us, he's saying, now listen, Abraham was made right with God by his faith. You and I, we don't come into a relationship with God by our works. You can't earn it. You can't try to convince God, hey, like me. But he's chosen to love us and to give his son as a sacrifice for sin. And we receive that forgiveness, that justification that makes us right with God and we come into that relationship with God through trusting him, right? And then he goes on, 
And he says, verse 8, so not only in verse 6 was Abraham made right with God through faith, but in verse 8, the scriptures foreseeing, prophesying, okay, the scriptures prophesying, God prophesied that the nations would be blessed. So it says right here, in the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the nations, the Gentiles, saying, okay, so not only was it Abraham who was made right with God, but all the peoples of the earth could be made right with God by trusting in Jesus. He says, way back there in Genesis, God told Abraham that he was going to do this. Wait wait a minute, when did God preach the gospel to Abraham? When did God tell Abraham about Jesus? Well, he told it to him in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless you and make you a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So not only did God want to bless Abraham for following him, but he wanted to, through Abraham, send Jesus to bless everyone, right? Okay, I know this is somewhat basic. Flow with me. Verse 9, so then, so then, verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. But I don't just want to bless you. Abraham, I want to use you as an example of my love for everyone. Abraham, I want you and I to be friends. If you'll walk in my ways, I want you and I to be friends. Because I want to show everybody that's what I want to do for them. So here, here's what we're going to do, Abraham. You follow me. I will bless you, but I'm also going to make you a blessing. Listen, in you. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, he didn't do anything to make that happen. God gave him a son, and then hundreds of years later, Jesus comes. But listen, watch the connection. Abraham was blessed. Now, those who put their faith in God are blessed like Abraham. So not only are we made right with God, just like Abraham, our sins are forgiven, just like Abraham, but we get to have the same kind of covenant, the same kind of friendship with God, with a good God who wants to bless us as Abraham. And? But there's a problem. See, God did this with Israel. God did this with Israel. What happened with Israel? Fell short, didn't they? Jeremiah chapter 31 says this. What's up? Jeremiah 31, God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31 tells us the problem, but also the promise. The problem was that the people of Israel could not keep the covenant, could not be faithful to the Lord. They were like a husband that kept cheating on his wife. They kept cheating on the Lord with other gods and kept sinning against the Lord. 
And though he was patient and he was merciful and he was kind to them, he, did allow, he, he, he also allowed there to be consequences of their sin and, their, and they came into bondage and such. And so God says to them, See, the problem is that your hearts are messed up. Your hearts are unfaithful to me. So then God says in Jeremiah 31, prophesying of the coming of Jesus, he says, I'm not going to do what I did in the past where I gave you this law on the outside. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my law, my ways, which can contain promises and commands, right? Here's what I'm going to do if you will do, walk in my ways. And I'm going to put that law in your heart and in your mind. I'm going to put it on the inside of you so that you walk in a relationship with me. This is what he's done in Jesus. If you go back to Galatians 3, right there, or if you didn't leave, verse 10. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's the life of legalism and works and trying to earn God's favor. That's the life where, okay, I got to do everything to try to please God. And the Bible says there's a curse there. But, verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. There it is again, that we're made right with God, made just or made right with God through faith, trusting in his work, not our own. Verse 12, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Another uh, Old Testament verse, prophecy. Verse 14, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Did you catch that in verse 14? That the blessing. That the blessing. What did Jesus do? Jesus took our sin upon himself and the curse of the law, our inability to make ourselves right with God. He literally took the curse of the law, the uh, uh, the penalty of sin is death. He took that upon ourselves to do what? To make us right with God, but it says that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon us. So what he says is, Listen, God promised way back then that you and I, the nations, that includes you, could be made right with God by just trusting in what Jesus has done. But you say, but I've messed up, but I've sinned, but I can't keep the law. I've really messed up. Yeah, yeah, he knew that you couldn't, so he came up with a solution. I'll take my law and I'll put it inside your heart. So what he did is he took your sin and he took your unfaithfulness, and he took the curse of the law and the penalty of sin, which is death. He took it all away, right? He became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And he gave you his righteousness. And then he put his spirit in the inside of you. And Jesus' spirit empowers you to obey God. That's what he means when he says, I'll write my law on your heart and your mind. He, how does he do that? With his Holy Spirit. That's not a metaphor. It's a reality. If you are in Christ, if you've put your trust in Jesus... His spirit is living on the inside of you, for real. Empowering you, not only to be made right with God, but to live in God's ways. But did you notice what God's after? God's after every nation being blessed like Abraham. Catch that? God does not have favorites. Except that maybe we're all his favorite in that regard. 
He does not practice favoritism. He's not a picker and a chooser. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He's not like that. He's not like, well, I like you, but I don't really like you. He's not like that. That is completely opposite of what the Bible says about God. He wants everyone to come to know him. He wants everyone to be blessed. Why? That's why he made you. That's why he died for you. Why else would God create you? Why else would he send his son and shed the blood of his only son so that you could have eternal life? Because he wants you to be blessed. Not that complicated. Now, I won't, go, I won't go into some of these verses. Let me just summarize it. But if you read through Galatians 3, you'll see. You say, well, why did God send the law? And he sent the law to show us our need for Christ. He calls the law a tutor. Basically to show us that we do fall short. We do fall short. All right? And so even Jesus talks like this. The fact that well, you, you say, well, I haven't committed adultery. Yeah, but lust in your heart, that's, that's adultery. Or I, I haven't murdered anyone. Yeah, but when you hate and you don't forgive, that's murder. You speak evil of others. That's more. So even Jesus called us to the fact that, look, we fall short. And the uh, I'm sorry, Romans 3, you guys know that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace. And so the, the law was to show us you can't do it in your own effort. You need to trust in Christ, and then he'll empower you to do so. So having established that, what is he doing? He's trying to help these Galatians get free from their own struggles of trying to earn God's favor. Just like he's answering, the Lord is speaking through me to you, to answer to you, well, what if I've sinned? Doesn't that disqualify me from God's blessing? No. No, and here's why. Skip over a few verses right here in verse 26 of chapter 3. He gets to his point. He says this, For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all sons of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. So because you put your trust in the Lord, he's adopted you and made you into his son or daughter. You've come into the family of God. He goes on, he says, and he explains it, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when you were baptized, you died to your old life, you came into a new life where you're in Christ now. And he explains, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, listen. And, and, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And heirs according to the promise. So what does he say? He goes like this. He says, first he says, you are children of God, sons or daughters of God. And if you're in Christ, you're also sons or daughters of Abraham. Why is that important? It's important because all those promises in the Old Testament were made to Abraham and his descendants. All those promises that we read in the Old Testament, you say, well, but how, do I, how, how can I really claim those for myself? Or how? 
How, how is that for me? Maybe even, like, you're like me. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a son or daughter biologically of Abraham. How, how can I claim that? That's a Hebrew scriptures. That's a Jewish scriptures. So how, how, how is that for me? Because Jesus is the Jew. I'm not being... I'm not being bad. I'm saying he is the Israelite. He is the man. He is the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. And he took our sin upon the cross and he's risen from the grave. And the Bible says if you put your faith in him, you come into Christ, your sin forgiven, you're made right with God. But he goes like this in verse 29. And I'm not done yet. You're thinking, well, isn't that like the highest thing to be like just like a child of God? Isn't that like, like, the highest like isn't that like well i'm a son of god so isn't that like the best he goes no no i'm not done yet and if you belong to christ if you're in christ listen now he connects you to the lineage of abraham and you are literally adopted into the people of god abraham's descendants that's why he says the children of abraham are the are of faith he says it's not just people who are biologically connected to Abraham. And praise God for the people of Israel, those who are of Jewish descent, who are biologically or ethnically Jewish. Praise God and we honor them. But those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God and adopted into Israel. We are adopted into Abraham. And guess why that's good? Because whatever Abraham gets... You get. And because you're in Christ, whatever Jesus gets, you get. Listen, you get blessed because of Jesus' obedience at the cross. You get blessed because you're in Christ. Not because of your works. Not because you earn it. Not because you're good enough. You get blessed. You get to embrace, to receive all the blessings and promises of God in the word of God because you're in Christ. Amen? Those of you who have taken level two, you understand that's called representative headship. Those of you who have not, you'll want to hear that one. It's like my favorite sermon. But, man, this is amazing. And listen to what happens. He goes on and he says, in verse 29, let me read it again. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And listen, and heirs, and heirs. Because when you're a son or a daughter, you're also an heir of your parents' stuff. Okay, Maybe not always in the natural, but whoa, in God's economy, this is the way it works. What's the dad's is also the kid's. That's how it works. goes on in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now I say, oh no, I'm sorry, let me skip that part, because he goes into a bunch of explanation that we don't need to right now. Verse 6, verse 6 of chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Verse 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. What's an heir? An heir is one who inherits, who receives the father's stuff, right? So now you are a son of Abraham and an heir of Abraham. So you are in the family of Abraham and you get Abraham's stuff. God made the promise to Abraham and his descendants. You are now his descendants. And because you're in Christ, you're a son of God, which is better. 
than even being a son of Abraham. You're a son of God and an heir. So whatever God has, he's promised to you in Christ. Anyone else think that's a big deal? That's kind of a little bit mind-blowing. This is insane. This is huge. This is not like, oh, okay, that's a cool verse. This is like, whoa, hold on, stop for a second. What? What does that mean? A son of God and an heir in Christ Jesus so that whatever Jesus gets, you get? And a son of Abraham and an heir so that whatever Abraham gets, whatever God promised Abraham and all the Israelites, like Deuteronomy 28, the blessings, you get? That's a big deal. And not based upon your works, but based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. You're in the family. You're in the family. Listen to this. Listen to some of these verses. Ephesians 2. Just listen to this. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, Aliens, not space aliens, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Whoa, hold on a sec. So he's talking to people who were not Jewish, and he says, look, before Jesus came, you had, you didn't know Christ? But let me tell you what also you were. You were not a part of the commonwealth, the community of the people of God, Israel. And you are strangers, disconnected, listen, from the covenants of promise. Okay, let me tell you how you know you are a stranger of the covenants of promise. Because you don't even know what that is. We're Gentiles. And we come to Jesus, we're like, yay, Jesus died for my sins. And you and I are walking around 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection, and we don't even know what a covenant of promise is. I remember, I remember the first time, I mean, I read that verse hundreds of times. I mean, I read the Bible a lot. And I'm reading it and reading it as a new believer, maybe not a new believer anymore. No clue how loaded that statement is. You and I were a stranger to the covenants of promise. All those promises in the Old Testament? Yeah, you didn't get them. Because you were not in the lineage of Abraham, and you were not a child of God. That's what he's trying to say. Then he says, but now, verse 13, but now... But now, in Christ, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jumping down to verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Oh, wait a minute. So I didn't get the covenants of promise, but now that Jesus' blood has made me near with God, I'm not a stranger anymore? No, now, he says, you are fellow citizens with God's saints, he's referring to the people of Israel, and members of the household of God, And then it goes on even further in Ephesians 3, 6 and says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul's trying to make a point here. You're not cut off from God anymore. Now you have a relationship with God. You're connected to God through Jesus Christ. Now you have hope. Now you have life. Now... You get all the promises. Now you're not a stranger. Now you're a citizen of the people of God. 
Now you're a family member. Now you're connected. Now you're an heir. Now you get all that stuff. This is what he's saying. And if you don't understand what the promises are, if you don't know what the covenants of promises are, how would you know to even believe God for them or receive them? Romans 11. Verse 16 and 17. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. I'll explain. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So Paul brings up this metaphor. He says, I'll just stick with the branch one. He says, if the root is holy, well, so are the branches. True of the root, true of the branches, right? Then he goes on to explain. He's talking about Israel. He says this. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. I don't have time to explain Romans 9 through 11. We'll go to another day. But he's saying, the root is Abraham and the forefathers. And the tree, this olive tree, is the people of God, the covenant people of God who receive the blessings and the promises of God. He says, some people who are biologically descendants of Abraham, Jewish people, they've not put their faith in Jesus. And so because of that, broken off. Now, of course, we know in Romans 11, God says, I will save all Israel. So those who are biological descendants of Abraham, God wants them and he will save them. But at this point, many of those Jewish people have not yet come back to Jesus. But those of us, he says, who are the wild olive tree, meaning you're not even part of the natural people of God. You're not a son or daughter of Abraham, he says. But through faith in Christ, he's grafted you in. He's giving you the metaphor of of connection, right? Earlier, it was the metaphor of adoption. Now it's the metaphor of being grafted in. And so imagine Abraham and 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 Isaac and such are the roots, and the people of God are the tree, olive tree and in that tree is all the blessings and promises and he says when you put your faith in jesus boop you were grafted in and do you notice what he says right here very specific again a metaphor he says and a partaker verse 17 of romans 11 a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree he says man if you grafted in you're a part of the tree and you're connected to the root you get all that they get i'm all down with root and fatness He's talking about the blessings and the promises of God that were promised to Abraham. Do you see it? Do you see it? Does God want to bless you? Does he want to do for you what he did for Abraham? Yeah. All that stuff he wanted to do for Israel, healing and freedom and blessing, that they'd be the head and not the tail, freedom from debt and bondage and sickness, Does God want to do that for you? Yes, that's why he said it in the word. Because he was trying to convince Israel, this is what I want to do for you. But they didn't believe him. But we do, amen? Amen. And he wants us, the people of God, who put their faith in Jesus, not in our works, not to try to earn those blessings, but to trust in Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we can just go off and do whatever in our own sin and expect these things to work. No, he says if you walk in the flesh, it'll bring death. You walk in the spirit, it'll bring life. So we still need to walk in the ways of Christ, trusting in him. We'll talk about how to steward those blessings. But my point today is not that. My point today is 
this is what God wants to do. And he has made a way to connect you to these blessings. Let's go back to this adoption thing. In the, in the, in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, let's say a man did not have an heir. Okay? He was rich, powerful man, and let's say he didn't have an heir. He could pick somebody to be his heir, or maybe even one of his slaves. It was not uncommon. You know, a man is rich, he's been in the military all his life, he's got a lot of uh, slaves in those days. You know, they had, uh, and slaves were a little bit more like indentured servants and such, but he could make somebody his heir. So this is what he, they would do. They would go through a full-on legal process to change the name and the identity of this slave into a son. This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians. You know what they would do? They would take the name and the identity of this person and they would completely destroy, burn it, destroy the former identity. So like, for example, if I'm, you know, I'm the son of Larry Turner, they would destroy those records. It was a legal process to transfer from being the son of Larry Turner to being the son of some other dude, right? And when a son, an heir. And these people would do this specifically so that they would have an heir because they wanted to pass on their name and they wanted to pass on their stuff to this person. This is what Paul's talking about, that when you died with Christ, you died to your old identity. Now, I'm still a son of Larry Turner. You know, so He's not necessarily referring to that. He's talking about, I'm no longer dead in my sins. I'm no longer cut off from God or cut off from the people of God. When you died with Christ, you died to that old world, and now your name, your identity is defined by who you are in Christ. You have been adopted by God, that old identity is done, and you've been adopted into the people of God. This is the crazy thing. Let's say you come to me and you say, yeah, my, my biological family's jacked up. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Love you. Let's talk through that. We, let's get some healing in that. But listen, th- this is crazy. Yes, I'm not saying that that's not important, and let's forgive our family, and let's find healing. But listen, this is the crazy thing. You've been adopted into Abraham's family. That's a big deal. Because now, your lineage is noble. Your lineage loves God. I don't know. I don't know, maybe you came to Christ later in life and you're thinking, I don't really have a godly heritage. You know, you ever run into somebody, they've been like, yes, my family's been Christians for 10 generations and they're like super blessed and you're like, I'm less than. Can you imagine how the Galatians would have felt? They felt that way, they felt less than. Well, you guys are the Jewish people. We are nobodies. Listen, you're not a nobody anymore because you're in Christ. Literally, you may not, you're going to meet Abraham one day in heaven, but you're not going to meet him here on earth. So I don't mean like, yay, Abraham's my dad. I'm going to go hang out with Abraham. No, you're not going to do that. But listen, your lineage is now connected to Abraham and all those blessings and promises. Your forefather is Abraham. I'm telling you, that needs to reshape our identity. It's not just that God reconnected you to himself. That's awesome. I mean, that's, woo, that's the best. But literally, in a, in a, in a real sense, here in this life, This life, you've been adopted into Abraham. How? Because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is the Israelite. You're connected to Jesus, therefore you're connected to Abraham. You have a new family. And we as the church are supposed to be the brothers and sisters and the moms and dads in that regard, so that's part of it. What I'm saying is, 
So it's not just, oh, I got this messed up family. No, part of your healing, part of your blessing is that, no, you don't have to inherit the foolishness or the bad choices from your parents anymore because you have a dad, a great, 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 great dad who made some really good choices. This is important. I know it might sound like a mystery to some of you. I know some of you are like, huh, this is big and heavy and I'm not sure what to do with it. I understand. We'll talk about what to do with it. But what I'm saying is this, this, your whole story can be rewritten. God, you know, God thought this out through. Because he wants you to be blessed and he does not want you to continue to inherit brokenness. He wants to heal you and to help you to rise up. I mean, do, do, you, do you see why this could matter to somebody who's lived in a systemat, systemic poverty like, who's like parents of parents and parents, you know, saying we're poor? I, I don't just mean poor is bad, but like in bondage to that. Do you see why this could matter? That you don't have to live that way anymore? Because that is the lie, right? Do, do you see how this could matter to somebody whose father and maybe grandfather or mother and grandmother committed suicide? And you think that's your identity? Are you flowing with me a little bit? That's not who you are anymore. You're free. And you have a new family. Yes, God needs to heal and for, you've got to work through forgiveness on some of that. I'm not talking about, hey, hey, let's forget my family. You know, I'm not talking about forgetting your biological family completely, but do you see how God has, if you will, bypassed all that brokenness to connect you in and graft you into a tree that is holy? And if the root is holy, you are holy. And if the root is blessed, you are blessed. Yeah? Good stuff, isn't it? Listen to this one phrase, Luke 15, 31. I love this. Listen to what God said. Father said to his son, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. That is sonship. That is inheritance. You were a son of God and an heir of God. Luke 15, that's the story of the prodigal son. God is communicating to you and my, you and me, what family looks like in the kingdom. Did you hear what he said? Son, I'm always with you. All that I have is yours. You hear the heart of the father? That's exactly how God sees things. You're coming to God begging him to help you, trying to negotiate with God. He doesn't respond to that. He does respond to humble crying out to him, but he does not respond to begging and negotiating. He responds to somebody who comes and says, Daddy, I need your help. And the father says, I'm always with you. All that I have is yours. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 12. He says the same thing. When he says this in Luke chapter 12, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is not stingy. He's a giver. And he's a good dad who wants us to be his kids, walk in his ways so he can bless us. This in no way is licensed to be greedy or spoiled or have entitlement mentalities or just do things our way. Oh, God's my dad and he's just going to bless me if I'm an idiot. No. 
But he's not kicking you out of the family. He's not going to reject you. And he's not going to stop wanting to bless you. I've said this many times. Your selfishness or your sin does not nullify God's graciousness. Your unfaithfulness does not nullify his faithfulness. He's still faithful to you. He's still good and he wants to bless you. But he is inviting us always to seek first his kingdom. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. One son left and wasted his father's goods. Well, is that guy blessed? No. But did the father reject him? No. What was he doing? Waiting for him to come home. Yes? See, that's the heart of God. His desire to bless does not stop when we sin. But if you're in the wrong place, it's going to bring destruction. If God says, hey, yeah, I want to help you out. I want to bless you. Go ahead and meet me over here. But you don't believe him and you start running around doing stuff in your own human effort and making it worse and going over here and getting in the wrong place and you say, well, God hasn't blessed me. Yeah, but you didn't go and meet him where he said. You gotta do what he said. But he's constantly inviting us back home. Constantly inviting us to trust him. Imagine this. Imagine you walk into a room And in front of you, you sit down in a chair, big comfy leather chair, and there's a big mahogany desk in front of you, and on the other side is a lawyer. And the lawyer takes out a piece of paper. And this lawyer begins to read this piece of paper to you. And he begins to explain from this piece of paper how you are an heir of some distant relative. And you imagine they didn't even know it was coming and you're listening to so-and-so's will or their trust. And as you're hearing this, you're hearing, and you have inherited property, assets, you've inherited stocks, you've inherited these things that this person has. How would you feel if you're hearing this? All of a sudden, you're thinking, oh man, everything changes. I'm sure on the inside, I don't know about you, but I know me, I would be super excited, right? Too good to be true. Oh man, what? Get out of here. Adding that up in my head, thinking about all the good stuff, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even speaking in terms of greed. I just mean like, whoa, that's awesome. I mean, come on. Just because kids get excited with Christmas doesn't mean we as adults aren't too, right? We all like to be blessed. That doesn't mean it's greedy. Can you imagine? But what would you be doing? What would you do on the outside? I know what I would do. I'd be like, oh. I'd try to be holding it together, acting like, oh, that's that's good. That's good. Now here's the thing. You can't see that property yet. You can't touch it yet. But why do you believe the lawyer? Because he's saying it. You can't see it yet. But what changes everything? Because it's written on a piece of paper with the signature of this person who died. Right? 
And this person has bequeathed everything to you. It's in their will. And what is backing that will? All the force of the law, right? So that now that this person has said, my property and all my money belongs to this person, the law, it is legally yours, is it not? The moment they died, it is legally yours now that they died. And you and I, we know that. We know that, don't we? Now, it changes everything. Because what if you were in debt? Oh, I could pay that debt off, wouldn't you? Yesterday I was stressed, and now I'm not stressed. Everything changed because you heard the will. Another thing changes, now you've got some added responsibilities, don't you? There might be stipulations in that will. There might be things you need to do. It might not be just for you. You might have to steward that. There's property that has to be dealt with and taken care of. There's some responsibilities, and we're going to talk about that, that God wants us to be faithful in the little so that we can be faithful in much. He wants us and needs us to steward these blessings. It's not just something he wants to do for you, but through you. But listen, why would we believe that lawyer, but here I am reading the eternal word of God, and we don't believe him? I have been reading to your will, because somebody died shed his blood to put a covenant into place, and God's law backs that covenant. You are legally sons of God and heirs of God. You are legally sons of Abraham and heirs. And when I say sons, I mean sons and daughters, but I'm talking legal adoption here. The Bible says it, and he has proven it with his blood. You are his, and if you are his, he says, son, daughter, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Do you believe it? It's yours. This is what he says. If you're convinced, I'm a reward of those who diligently seek you. You'll seek me with all your heart. All that I have will be yours. And we're going to learn how to walk by faith. We're going to learn how to steward these blessings. But the first step is just to believe that these actually are promises for us and that his blessing is for us. Sam, lead us in response.